a shout out to all the dads. I'm a dad, you know, and uh, it's good to be a dad. Some of your dads are no longer with you anymore. My dad's gone. And, uh, you know, as you get older, your dads, they leave this earth. And so uh, that's why you want to make it count while they're here. And the way you make it count is, I can tell you one of the greatest things that you can give your dad, not only for Father's Day, but for all of his life. And we read it in the one-year Bible this morning. It says that you just need to be wise. If you've got a wise kid, how many of you dads would just love to have your children to be wise? I mean, above everything else, you know, uh, they can't be as good looking as some, you know, but uh, they can be wise. And so uh, you kids out there, let's just do that, huh? Let's not be a fool. Let's not fool around. Let's just be great with our dads. Look, uh, uh, we're in a series in the book of James, and uh, we're going to take the next two weeks. We spent last week on it. We're going to spend the next two weeks on it. James, a very, very practical book of the Bible. One of my favorite. I just like for it to tell me like it is. Last week, we started off talking about trouble because Jesus said you're going to have trouble and uh, you can run from it, but it'll find you. And we, we've, we, we taught you that if you have trouble in your life, the good thing about it is that it, it does things for you. Uh, I know we think trouble does things to us, but it really does things for us. It gives us opportunities for joy. It also tests our faith. And when our faith is tested, our endurance grows. And then if our endurance grows, we mature. And so when, you, when you're in trouble, if you can just at least give it some thought that, hey, you know, this trouble might be something good for me, it might turn out better than how it does most of the time. Today, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about, I want to talk to you about temptation. Because temptation is something that everyone goes through. Last week was trouble, today is temptation. If Jesus was tempted, I believe we could say that we might be tempted also, huh? How many of you would agree with that? If Jesus was tempted, I might be tempted also. And so we're going to start in the book of James chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And then afterwards, I love that word afterwards. So after the temptation, uh, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God's got a promise set out for you. God's got a plan set out for you. Folks, let me tell you something. The world's in trouble. We know that. There's a lot of things going on. This life is temporary. There's an eternal life after this life. And we want to we start depositing a lot of stuff up in the future. Some people don't plan for their future financially. And then when they get there, they've got problems. Well, let me tell you something. We want to prepare for our eternal future. And so we want to make sure that we deposit things into there. In the 13th verse, James says, and remember, when you're being tested or when you're being tempted, do not say, don't say this. He said, don't say this when you're in trouble, when, when temptation comes, don't say God is tempting me. Never say that. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. So evidently in all this trouble and all these trials and all this, people were trying to say, you know, God is tempting me to sin. God is tempting me to fall. God is tempting me to fail. I want to tell you that God is for you. We need to understand that God is for us. He's not all mad trying to get something over on you or, or put you down or make it hard for your life. God is for you. So God is not tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anybody with wrong. And then in the 16th verse, he tells us not to be misled brothers and sisters. He said, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, 
who created all the light in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. The thing about God, the thing about, you know, Father God, is that he never does change, ever. He is the same always. He's always good, and everything he ever does is good, and you never have to worry about your father being bad. Now, I know that we've had fathers, you know, not all of them have walked the line the way they should, but let me tell you something. Our Heavenly Father is perfect in everything that he does, and so everything that he allows into my life through his hand, whether it be a test, a trial, whatever it might be, I know that God is for me, not against me. And I know that God is for me, then who can be against me? So I win either way. I can't lose when I'm connected to God the Father. And then in the 14th verse, he kind of brings it around. Now he's going to answer all about this temptation, all about what's going on. And he kind of sets the bar here and he says, temptation comes from our own desires. Which means these desires, you know what it means? It means a longing for something forbidden. I'm never tempted to do good. It's just amazing, isn't that right? I'm always tempted to do something that is forbidden by God. And in the world we live in, that's getting really, really great about what God is for, what God is against and all that. And people are making up their own minds and their own kingdoms and making their own gods to themselves. But I tell you what, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm sticking to the God of the Bible. I'm just gonna hang in with the God of the Bible. How about you? There could be many, many gods out there. Many, many things are gonna be said. He said, so you're tempted with your own desires which entice, our desires entice us, which means that they entrap us or they allure us, sort of like if, if some of you are fishermen. You know, I used to think that fish were just by my boat waiting to eat. And then we realized, you know, that it's a lure that causes fish to come on. I mean, a fish is just swimming around, minding his own business, all of a sudden, pooch, you drop a lure in the water, it's shiny, some of them make noise. They go right by that fish and they get the fish atten attention. You understand? Our evil desires, they entice us. They're like a lure in the water for a fish. All, I mean, your day, you're just going on in your day and everything is fine. All of a sudden, bloosh. This thing, <coughs> this person, this attitude, whatever it might be, all of a sudden allures you. These desires, they allure us, they entrap us. And they drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow. In other words, when sin is allowed to be conceived. When, when sin is allowed to seize us, arrest us, or capture us. Then you know what happens? It gives birth to death. So right here in two verses of scripture. The Holy Spirit gives James all of our instructions about temptation where it comes from, how it acts, and what it brings in our life if we give into it. You can fight temptation, you can overcome temptation, but if you don't, it gives birth to sin, and then sin separates us from God. And that is just the way it is. Sin separates people from God. All people from God. Sin separates people from God. It's a sin problem. The whole problem of everything. Everything is rooted right back in a sin problem. So let me just recap this, what we just read in these scriptures. Ready? Seven things real quick. God is never tempted to do wrong. God doesn't tempt people to do evil. God is good and never changes. Temptation comes from our own desires. We're enticed by ourselves. We can, we can allow sin to grow, and sin will kill a person spiritually if we allow it to. There's all of it. Just recap. Boom, right there, right there for us. So you say, well, I don't understand the Bible, Pastor. Well, you surely understood what we just said, didn't you? 
Very, very clear, right? Just so simple to understand. That's what happens. Now, temptation, all I want to do today is, is share with you about four ways that James tells us that we're tempted. Now, there are many, many areas, and we could spend all day talking about sin and talking about what people are tempted in, but, but he gives four major areas of, of temptation right here in the Bible, and we're just going to take them. You ready? You ready to go on this? It's going to be a quick little trip, all right? Because I know you want to get to the restaurant or barbecue or gumbo or whatever, right? So we're gonna make it quick, dads, right? I mean, men have attention spans like, come on, let's get real. Woman will listen all day. Men, man, you gotta, you gotta get it to them. So here we go. Second chapter, first verse. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meetings dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give spiritual attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? First thing that we're tempted to do we're tempted to be prejudiced. We live in a prejudiced world full of a lot of prejudiced people. And I just want to talk to you that, that we, we see much prejudice in churches. We see much racism in churches going both ways up the tube. There's not a one-way street racism. When I first came here, I came from South Louisiana. I didn't know anything about anything concerning people. You know, we never had any prejudice in our family. You know, we, we didn't know anything. I mean, we integrated my senior year in high school. You know, the students didn't think anything about it. We just say, hey, whatever, this is cool. The parents had the problem. And it's still going on today. When I came here, I remember getting a phone call one morning. I, I answered the phone, Northwood Church. And a woman was on the phone and she said, um, hello. She said, I, I want to know something. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, can I come to your church? I said, well, yeah. I mean, we had like 34 people. It's like, <laughs> yes. Somebody's called. Yes. I said, yes. But I got curious. Why would somebody call a church up? And asked if they could come to church. It just didn't compute with me. I said, well, you know, why, can you help me out? Teach me something. Why are you calling and asking if you can come to church? She said, because I'm black and they don't allow a lot of black people in white churches down here. I thought, my goodness, I didn't know that still existed. Call me naive, call me what you wish. But I want to tell you something right now. I told that woman, I said, uh, come to church. That's all I said. You just come on. And don't worry about that. Just come on. And I'm still telling people, just come on. Just, just, just come on. You understand what I'm saying? Just come on. If they don't want you there, just come on. Prejudiced. It comes out in many different ways. It's mixed with racism and it's mixed with all kinds of problems. Right now, right while we speak right now, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina is in service right now. Their pastor is going to be waked the next two days. He and eight members of his church were gunned down in the church in a Bible study by a young man, delusionary, wicked, 
pitiful, scary, unreasonable, misguided, and deceived. Horrible, tragic act that could happen to anybody. And you know, people are going to go in all kinds of different directions on this, but I'm telling you, sooner or later, this kind of violence and this kind of useless tragedy is going to put people together instead of tear them apart. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. People are going to come together and they're going to see it for what it's worth. And they're going to say, you know what? That's that, but this is this. That's that, but this is God. Let that go, but we're going to embrace this. You're going to see that happen in the United States of America by the church. The church is the one that's going to make it happen. It's the church that is being tempted to discriminate against people. But Jesus says, oh, no, don't do that. Have mercy on people. He goes on in the 13th verse. He says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Mercy. Prejudging people because of their social status, their financial status, their educational status, their, their complexion, how they look, how they walk, how they talk, where they come from. I'm so f- finished with it. I'm so like finished with it. You know what I mean? It's like, so you from Alabama. I mean, <laughs> there's mercy (laughs) or Louisiana you know what I love I love people from Louisiana talking about people from Mississippi y'all always at the bottom of everything yeah but you first cousin you you second from the bottom so what's what's the deal or Texas is big or or New York is trendy or California you know and like like we're all from a different planet, man. Look, we all got our feet on the ground. And we all go to the bathroom like everybody else. So look, let's get with it and get over it, okay? Some of you young people, you look good now, but wait till you get to be 65. You'd be ugly. You'd be ugly like everybody else. It is the way it is. And so, you know, we got to just break through this prejudice barrier. Well, you know, those people from over there, they, well, they're taking your job, Americans, because you're too lazy. I don't know why they Well, you won't work, so somebody's got to feed this nation. Somebody's got to build something. Somebody's got to do I don't know about that. Why don't we just be quiet? Which brings me to my second point. I was wondering how I was going to segue into this second point. It's perfect. Pow! We're tempted to speak out. We're so tempted to speak out so much. Third chapter, second verse. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. And everybody said Amen. For we could control our tongue, we'd be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want it to go by the means of a small bit in its mouth and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing. It is so little. It's a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. And you know why? Because this is this sentence, for it is set on fire by hell itself. I don't completely understand that, but I got an idea, man. 
It's almost like some people have just, they dipped their tongue in, in hell and just let it fly. We are tempted to let it fly. You're tempted to release that thing, that demon almost. Just give me one. Isn't that how it is? You know how it is in the marriage, in the family, with the teenagers, with the school teacher, with the police officer, with the employer. Do you understand? And then you let it rip and you get fired and you want to just rip on the boss. Hey, look, you need to get fired. Shut up. You won't get fired. You know, the Bible says that if we be quiet, if a fool will shut up, they seem wise. It's when we open our mouth that we've, the, the real us comes out. And we say, where did that come from? Where, where did it come from? Well, it came from inside of us. You, you see, we're tempted to just, I mean, opinions, my goodness. We're all bad at it. We all got our own. They all smell bad. And you know, what does my opinion do anyhow? Think about that. What, is, what am I accomplishing? <laughs> Sometimes we're having a conversation. We just say, what are we talking about this for? We can, this is useless conversation. And we just go on to something else. And to confront people, you know, confrontation. There's a place for it. There's a place for opinion. But wisdom, discipline, and truth are the prevailing forces that filter what we speak. We can't be people without any opinion, you know, just a limp noodle. We can't be that. But, you know, wisdom and discipline, holding the tongue. I mean, literally, hold, got hold tongue. Hold the tongue. Hold it if you have to. Because when we shut up, a lot of problems go away. When we shut up, a lot of problems never come our way. When, we, when, we, when we're tempted to speak, you see, we're tempted to bring up past offenses and just dig it up. When we're tempted to speak out before having all the facts surrounding a situation. When we're tempted to speak out about things that we're not experts in. If I was governor of this state. When we're tempted, we're tempted to speak about people and things that we don't have any concern about, which is gossip. This is the thing. Man, you know, matter of fact, we talk so much that when we don't talk, people ask us, what's wrong with us? <laughs> you talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, you even worry my pets. You just talk, 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 you talk too much. You talk about things that you don't know. You talk about things wherever you go. You just talk, talk, talk. You talk too much. Ernie Cato. Most of you don't have a clue who that guy is. Way back, Jack. Way back in the day. Long time ago. You see, folks, listen. One truth right here. What's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And that's it. There's a sin problem. There's a heart problem. You got to set a guard at your mouth. You'll be tempted today to say things that you don't need to say. Just be quiet. Just sing a little song if you have to. Whatever it takes, just be quiet. Number three, in the fourth chapter, the 11th verse. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you're criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. 
He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? The third thing that we are tempted to do every day of our life is to judge others. We're tempted to judge things. You see, it's not our job to size up people and then pass judgment on them. It's not our job. R- rather, it, 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 the Holy Spirit, when, when we care about people, we will pray for people. If we will not be willing to pray for someone, we have no right to speak to them about their life. If God's not involved, then we're just going around shaking our finger at people, just going around just, hey, you, I can't believe you. You know what I realize? I realize I, that comes around just like, I can't believe me, what I said, what I did, what I thought, where I was. I can't believe that happened to me. We're tempted to judge others about what is going on in their own life and not look at our own life. We, we, we tend to judge others by our own standards. We just set a, a standard and it's like, that, that's, that's, this is the standard. This is the way it ought to be. We tend to judge outwardly. We, 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 we're tempted to, to have wrong motives. When, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery by some pharisaical leaders, religious leaders, and they brought her to Jesus and they threw her down on the ground in front of him. There was two things going on there. And I just saw this this week. Here is this woman. She's caught in the act of adultery. Yes, she is an adulteress. Yes, she is caught, I guess. But these men, they didn't care one bit about that woman. They didn't care more about her than the man in the moon. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were using her as bait to trap Jesus. But Jesus knew what was going on. And so he, he drew with a stick in the ground and he talked about who has the less sin, throw the first stone. And he dealt with all that. But he was just trying to move the junk out of the way so he could minister to this woman whose life was torn up. It's easy to judge the adulteress, the adulterer, the this, the that, the all the things that's going on. And, and, and by the way, let me insert this, that sin is sin and sin is wrong. And that's for all the people who think we don't preach about sin, which is great. Sin is wrong, sin is wrong, sin is wrong, adultery is wrong, all those things are wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. But sometimes when we, get, when, when we just judge the action of an individual without knowing what is going on, sometimes we're prejudging. And sometimes we want to, you know, it's like, I'll tell you, walk, let's walk a mile in their shoes, but their shoes are too big because the things that they have experienced in their life are so colossal in, in wickedness and things that have been perpetrated against them that have just broken their mind and fragmented their soul. We just judge it for the one action. Instead of loving them enough, caring enough to find out what is going on, bro. What's happening? I could spend five hours talking to you about what's happening in people's lives. You wonder why that young man can't have a relationship with his father? Maybe it's because his uncle is molesting him. You know, we don't know things. And so we judge and we don't know. We, 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 we understand this, that you, you, you never know what a person is going through that's producing the behavioral situations in their life. So just to indiscriminately judge, what a waste. Actually, it goes against God. Remember this, judgment is always redemptive in nature. God, every judgment God ever gave from Genesis 
all the way to Revelation was redemptive in nature. There's only one judgment that's not redemptive in nature, and it's called the great white throne judgment, which is the last judgment that God will give on wickedness. There is no redemption then, but there has been redemption all the way through everything God has done. It's been redemptive in nature. We're tempted to judge most things by our own standard. I just said that. And now number, number, number five, are you ready for the, for the last one? And, and, and that is this, that uh, we are tempted to be overly confident. James chapter four, verse 13. Look here, you who say, boy, there it goes again. They're saying things. Today or tomorrow, we're going to, to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and, and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's like, a, it's there a little while, then it's gone. And when, this is what you ought to say. He's just instructing us. This is what you ought to say. You ought to say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Let's think of being overly confident. We live in America, we're overly confident about everything. We've been taught the wrong way. We need to be confident in who God is. Confident, yes, in who I am in God. But you know, Jesus said it this way. He said, listen up, be careful, know this, without me, you can do nothing. So evidently he's saying, without me, you cannot do exactly what the Father wants me to do because I can do a lot of things without God. People are doing things without God all day long. But things that are right and, and, and right in the will of God, Jesus says you can do nothing. Self-confidence says this. It says, I have no need of outside help. I have no need of influence. I am not teachable. I am, I am self-contained and I am proud. Really, overly confident is nothing more than pride disguised. And it's just amazing. God just got let one little thing happen in your life. All of a sudden, all your stability, is, it just disappears. It's just like... In a moment of time, it's like, I was, so, I was so confident this morning and this afternoon, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. I mean, God could just do that. He could just rattle your cage just a little bit. And all of a sudden, psh, things have changed. I was just looking up self-confidence on the World Wide Web. And I, you know, I, just, I just sometimes like to look, what's going on out there that, that, that tells us about self-confidence? I found this business report, and I, can I just, just throw out a few things that show that, that uh, people are kind of cocky and self-confident? So first of all, they, they drop names out of context. You know, you, I've seen, you know, it's like, I was with so-and-so last week, and tomorrow I'm going to be with so-and-so. And I'm dropping names, dropping names. Name droppers and peacockers, you know what I mean? and hobnobbers, just, just constantly doing this thing. He says, that shows uh, uh, pride. How about avoid contact? You're talking to somebody and they're talking to you, but you know, they're, while they're talking to you, they're looking over, trying to find somebody more important than you. It's like, I'm gonna, yeah, I'll spend time with you, but really I'm looking for somebody else. <laughs> the, the, you know, the world knows it says, arrives consistently late to meetings and never apologizes. Late, late, late all the time. In other words, the world revolves around me. These are just things that show confidence. Uh, uh, condescending put-downs. Stupid, moron, idiot. You're so goofy in front of people. Strut of swagger is walking into a room, going up to people, putting your finger in their chest. You know what I mean? They're just calling people out just right, right there in front of everybody, just... Eh, might be a little confident, you know what I mean? They might call you out back with a secret in your life that they knew, you forgot they knew about it. And all of a sudden now, it turned on you. 
interrupting conversations frequently, have an answer for everything. Have you ever met somebody who had, they know everything about everything? I mean, it's like, whoa. Never, you never hear them say, I don't know. I'm going to check that out. I'm not sure. These all show ways that we're self-confident. And I don't know that God's really into it. See, temptation comes. It comes in all these ways. It just keeps coming. And like every day I'm tempted, like it seems, in one way or another. Every day there seems to be some kind of test that comes my way. But the thing is this, is that it's going to come your way. But it's time. I think it's time to start overcoming, don't you? I think it's time for us to get some wins under our belt. I think it's time to get some, some victory in, in some lives here. I think it's time for change, and I think it's time to win. I really do. I think it's time to say, I think it's time for us to be able to say, in Jesus Christ, I can do all things, and I am overcoming this thing. I think it's time to do that. I think when you do that, when you get a few wins underneath your belt, something good happens in your life. Not by your own power, your own strength, but by God. And so I want to I just take the scripture right now, and I'm going to give you four things just real quick that will help you to overcome temptation. I mean, to really do it, okay? And, and by the way, all those things you've been thinking about that you're tempted about that I didn't talk about, well, that, just put those in this category, okay? It's found in Proverbs chapter 3. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture, but it really gives us takeaways that we can take and start living that change changes the complexion of our life first of all the bible says in the fifth verse of the third chapter trust in the lord with all your heart do not depend on your own understanding so there is number one you right you got to trust god there's got to be i'm telling you folks the world is falling to pieces around us now we got to trust god he is the stabilizing force so you trust him in prayer, in belief, in faith. Next week, we're going to talk to you about living faith. And you believe God in faith. You, you, you trust him that he is able to see you through. You trust him that when you make the hard calls and you, and you break out and you don't give in, that, that he's going to make a way for you. Because for some of us, when we avoid temptation, it causes all sorts of situations with people. You trust God. Man, let's, not, let's quit de depending on our own understanding. It's like, whoa. Number two, sixth verse. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You've got to see a path that's going on here. You see, because there, there is a path that every person has. And, and, and if we don't seek God, we take the path, usually of least resistance, and the path of, of, of self-reliance and the path of self-centeredness and that's the path we take because it looks good, it feels good. But when we seek God, when we trust him and then when we seek his will in everything that we do, we find out sometimes that he directs us in a different way. He changes your path. Some of you younger people, God will change your path. You will be heading in one direction and he will just change it completely. And you need to be open to that. Holy Spirit, make us more aware of your presence so that you can direct my life. The third thing is that we must fear the Lord in verse seven. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Come on now. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When the fear of the Lord, the healthy fear of the Lord is on a person's life, you fear disappointing God. You fear God more than you feel good. You, you fear God, and when you come up to obstacles, you go God's way instead of your way. This is the, the way to live. 
This is the Christian life, not making up the rules as we go along. Circumstantial Christianity. What was right yesterday is wrong today. What was wrong yesterday was right today. It's like I'm all mixed up. Are there any moral absolutes left? Fear the Lord. You notice all this comes from a tight relationship with the Lord. Verse 8 buttons it up. Then, after you trust God, after you seek your path, after you fear the Lord, then you have healing for all your body and strength for your bones. You know what happens then? You get healthy. You get healthy. Temptation and giving in to temptation gnaws away at us. Sin just has a way of just eating us, just eating us away. It erodes our life. But I'm telling you, when we seek him, when we become more aware of his presence, things change in our lives. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you right now that you're alive. You never change. I thank you that you answer prayer. Father, I pray over this room right now. And I'm asking you to touch hearts. I'm asking you to open us up. Holy Spirit, we've invited you in to work. We pray that you'll work in us right now. Thank you for doing that. If you're in this room right now and, and you know, your life is right with God and you're moving forward with the Lord and, and those, that's just so wonderful. I know that he's dispel darkness out of our life but you're constantly being tempted in the same areas over and over again and you give in over and over again that's such a miserable way of life I understand that completely maybe you're tempted just say that you can't ever control your mouth or maybe your body or your eyes maybe you go places you ought not go do things whatever be involved maybe it's thought maybe it's motives of the heart there can be so many avenues that temptation comes you want to make sure that you keep your relationship with the Lord vibrant and let me tell you something this world has a way of eroding the vibrancy of our walk with God you, you must maintain it you must stay humble you must stay under the hand of God you must keep embracing the heart of God and he'll give you health Father I pray for your church right now that every person Lord God, that calls you Lord will make sure that they stay on guard, trusting you, fearing you, allowing you to direct their paths, thus making them healthy. Honor you for doing that. I know you answer prayer, Father. I know you do. Now, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, you're sitting in this room and you're examining your life and your heart. I want to talk to you in this room right now who you maybe your relationship with God is just not right. And I want to give you a, a moment of time right now in space, right here, right now, for you to give your heart to Jesus. It's not hard to believe God for salvation. You just come to him as a little child. You believe his word. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, and if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You see the heart and the mouth connected. 
So if you're in this room right now and you've never given your heart to the Lord or you have at one time, maybe way back, but your life is in shambles and you know that you're not connected to God and you've been far away from Him, now it's time for you to come back. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help in a simple prayer. God's big. He doesn't need a long thing. He already knows whether or not you're opening your heart right now as I speak. Just go ahead and let your guard down and let the Lord in. Come on, just, just, just repent of your sins right now. Just say, Lord, I've just followed my own way and not yours. That's right, just say that simple prayer. Father in heaven, just repeat after me. Please forgive me. I ask you to save me and turn my life around. Make me a new person inside. Father, I give you myself completely. I am yours completely. And I thank you for saving me and for changing me today, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord right now. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv slash connect and fill out the information, our lead pastor, Van Decody, wants to send you a letter that tells you some steps to take in order to maintain your new relationship with God. We'll also give you some information about Northwood Church. We are one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and Long Beach. If you live in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv slash locations, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv slash give. You can give a one-time donation, or you can sign up for our online community called MyNC and set up a recurring gift. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.